Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. And when you're there, sign up for On the Town. It's a weekly publication sent to your email box about some of the highlights of things going on here on the Paradise Coast. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about how the Supreme Court may have subverted the Constitution over the last uh, modern times, and, uh, since, let's say, 1900. We'll also visit with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, author of several books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America on Our Infrastructure and Our Future. We'll be talking about his firsthand experience with Marxism. Interesting story. Look forward to uh, talking with uh, Larry today. It is March the 11th, and on this day in 1918, just before breakfast on the morning of March the 11th, Private Albert Gitchell of the U.S. Army reported to the hospital at Fort Riley, Kansas, complaining of cold-like symptoms of sore throat, fever, and headache. By noon, over 100 of his fellow soldiers reported similar symptoms, marking what is believed to be the first cases in the historic influenza epidemic of uh, 1918. The flu would eventually kill 675,000 Americans and more than 20 million people, some believe the total closer to 40 million around the world, proving to be far deadlier than even the First World War. The initial outbreak of the disease reported at Fort Riley in March was followed by similar outbreaks in army camps and prisons in various regions of the country. The disease soon traveled to Europe, with the American soldiers heading to aid the Allies on the battlefields of France. In March 1918 alone, 84,000 American soldiers headed across the Atlantic. Another 118,000 followed them the next month. Once it arrived on a second continent, the flu showed no signs of abating. <clears throat> 31,000 cases were reported in June in Great Britain. The disease was soon dubbed the Spanish flu, due to the shockingly high number of deaths in Spain, some 8 million. Uh, the flu showed no mercy for combatants on either side of the trenches. Over the summer, the first wave of the epidemic hit German forces on the Western Front, where they were waging a final no-holds-barred offensive that would determine the outcome of the war. It had a significant effect on the already weakening morale of the troops, as German Army Commander Crown Prince Rupert uh, wrote on August the 3rd, poor provisions, heavy losses, and deepening influenza have deeply depressed the spirits of the men in the uh, infantry. Meanwhile, the flu was spreading fast beyond the borders of Western Europe due to an exceptionally high rate of virulence and the massive transport of men and land and aboard ship due to the war effort. By the end of the summer, numerous cases had been reported in Russia, North Africa and India, China, Japan and Philippines and even New Zealand would eventually fall victim as well. The Great War ended on November the 11th, but influenza continued to wreak international havoc flaring again in the U.S. in the even more vicious wave with the return of soldiers from the war and eventually affecting uh, estimated 28% of the country's population before it finally petered out. That's a little scary, isn't it? Think about this. Influenza, back in 1918, uh, lasting even with a second wave into November of the same year. Here it is, only March. In its December 28, 1918 issue, the American Medical Association acknowledged that the end of one momentous conflict and urged the acceptance of a new challenge, stating that medical science for four and a half years devoted itself to putting men on the firing line and keeping them there. Now it must turn with this whole might to combating the greatest enemy of all, infectious disease. How about that? All this happening. First case, 1918 in Kansas. Well, uh, how's it affecting tourism on the Paradise Coast? Well, apparently, uh, according to the Naples Daily News, Jack Wirt, who's the uh, executive director of the Naples Marco Island uh, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau, says right now there's been no evident uh, uh, effect from the coronavirus. Tourism is uh, going extremely well. You can tell that just by going out on the roads. 
Well, there's been no drop-off so far, but yesterday up in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo deployed a National Guard, the National Guard in the New York City suburb of New Rochelle, Rochelle, the epicenter of the state's coronavirus outbreak with 108 confirmed infections. That's now a one-mile radius containment zone with schools and places of worship closed through March the 25th. Now, what are the uh, troops going to do? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're going to be disinfecting public areas and delivering food to the hundreds of people that are under quarantine. So we're pretty fortunate down here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, nothing like that is happening here. Well, it was a case up in Sarasota, as I recall. But uh, right now, we've been pretty much sheltered from the effects here on, well, of course, Naples, uh, Marco Island, the most healthy area and the happiest area in the United States. Hope it stays that way during this coronavirus outbreak. Wall Street roared back to life on Tuesday, rebounding from the brink of bear market confirmation as uh, bargain hunting and hopes of government stimulus calmed investors' fears surrounding the coronavirus and growing signs of imminent recession. Stocks whipsawed throughout the wild day on Wall Street, wiping out the gain of 3.5% to turn negative before a furious rally in the final two hours of trading delivered the biggest gain since December 2018. All three major indexes jumped nearly 5% the day after equities markets suffered the biggest one-day loss since the 2008 financial crisis. Still, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ ended the session about 15% below the record-closing highs reached on February the 19th. Only February 19th, that uh, 15% down, sinking beyond the 20% mark would confirm a bear market, of course. U.S. President Donald Trump said he would take major steps to allay the uh, market fears by asking Congress for a fiscal stimulus package to include a payroll tax cut, among other measures. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 1,167. How about that? Up 4.89%. All major sectors, 11 sectors, the S&P 500 closed higher as well. Financials had the biggest jump, 6% after suffering the worst day in more than a decade as U.S. Treasury yields rebounded from record lows. So in light of all this, the president uh, is now meeting with uh, Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill yesterday. Uh, He pitched a 0% payroll tax rate that would last through the rest of the year. The development comes as Trump and the White House try to put together an economic stimulus plan to counteract the impact of the widening coronavirus outbreak. The White House is also considering federal assistance for shale industry as oil prices have tanked in recent days due to price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. Uh, There will be some other measures, too. Apparently, they're even considering rolling back uh, the date for the filing of income taxes from April the 15th to a later date. To give people a temper, it's almost like a ta- uh, interest-free loan uh, to people that owe money to the IRS. Interesting. Uh, so nothing's happened yet, so we're just going to wait and see what happens. It'll be difficult to put together some sort of a plan, I think, with Congress, considering how uh, vitriolic the relationship is between the president and Congress. So history didn't repeat itself in Michigan for Bernie Sanders, and because of that, the populist U.S. Senator from Vermont is an extremely disappointing evening on Super Tuesday the 2nd, and now faces dunning delegate math that leaves him slipping swiftly out of the reach of the Democrat presidential nomination. Just four years ago, it was Michigan where Sanders pulled off an historic upset over eventual nominee Hillary Clinton. At the time, the victory kept the White House bid alive. Fast forward four years later, and Sanders down to the public opinion polls by double digits once again in the Great Great Lake State of Michigan was convincingly defeated by former President Joe Biden. Four years ago, Sanders nearly topped Clinton in Missouri. This time around, he lost the state by nearly two-to-one margin uh, to Biden, and former Vice President trounced Sanders in Mississippi and won in Idaho as well. Sanders, who won a landslide victory in 2016 in Washington State caucuses, was neck-and-neck with Biden in the state's 2020 primary, with just over two-thirds of the vote counted. Biden initially had the slight edge in Idaho, with more than three-quarters of the votes counted, and was eventually declared the winner. Sanders was uh, up in North Dakota caucuses where only 14 delegates were up for grabs. So uh, Biden's blockbuster performance boosted his lead in the all-important race for presidential uh, convention delegates, and he's now, I guess, considered the front-runner at this point. I think with uh, my, my 
a sense is that uh, really it was Hillary Clinton who lost, and those delegates went over to San- Sanders' last uh, election, 2016. Now I don't think uh, Biden has all the negative baggage that uh, Clinton had at the time, and so that's why he's picking up these delegates, and uh, everybody's coalescing and consolidating their interest around Joe Biden right now. It looks like that uh, Bernie Sanders this time is going to be fading away. Just, uh, Just my thoughts. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. They take care of our air conditioning and do a great job. johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Naples Illustrated bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents the Florida premiere of a laugh-out-loud comedy, The Lady Demands Satisfaction, running from February the 15th through March the 15th, with preview performances on February the 13th and 14th. Directed by Broadway star and Gulf Shore Playhouse Associate Artistic Director Jeffrey Bender, The Lady Demands Satisfaction tells the comedic tale of hapless heiress Troth as she comes of age. After the untimely death of her noble father, Troth learns that she could lose her inheritance if someone beats her in a duel. The only problem? Troth has never laid so much as a finger on a sword. Her domineering aunt, clever servants, bumbling lawyer, and Prussian swordmaster all add to the chaos and mayhem in this hilarious, swashbuckling spoof of 18th century nobility. Tickets are selling fast and are available now. Single tickets for the Lady Demand Satisfaction start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific think tank in Washington, D.C. It's called the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank, as you said, in Washington, D.C., and we're devoted to <clears throat> private property and free markets and securing individual rights and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato.org is the website. So, Bob, uh, let's talk a little bit about how the Supreme Court may have subverted the Constitution uh, since the New Deal. I mean, the government has expanded tremendously since that time, and it can only happen, of course, with uh, allowing the confines of the Supreme Court for allowing uh, government to expand. So let's talk about that. Let's start with the taxing power. Chief Justice Roberts held that Obamacare's penalty for not buying health insurance was really a tax 
On that basis, the Supreme Court said Obamacare is constitutional. What's the constitutional basis for the taxing power? Well, you're right that Roberts held that this uh, requirement to buy health insurance, the mandate under Obamacare, was authorized under Congress's power, as it says in the Constitution, to lay and collect taxes to provide for the general welfare. Mm-hmm. And this uh, was litigated back in 1937 in a case called Helvering v. Davis, and the Supreme Court upheld the Social Security Act and established that taxes, Social Security taxes, can be imposed for just about any purpose that allegedly serves the general welfare. Presumably, that includes subsidizing insurance companies so they can afford to cover pre-existing conditions. Interestingly, the the Helvering case, um, it wasn't about whether Social Security is a good idea or whether it was actuarially sound. You have to think like a judge. The issue was... Where in the Constitution is the federal government authorized to impose a retirement system? And proponents pointed to this uh, taxing power, and that recalled an important battle between Alexander Hamilton and James Madison. Hamilton's view was that the power to tax in order to provide for the general welfare is an extra power over and above Congress's other enumerated powers, Mm. like declaring war and, and regulating interstate commerce, et cetera. Madison's view, he said, look, that can't be because everything can be characterized as providing for the general welfare, and if we allow the taxing power to provide for the general welfare, that we create a government of just about unlimited powers, and our purpose is to establish a government of limited powers. Right. And, and then Madison went a step further. He says, not only isn't the clause, the taxing power clause, an extra power, it's actually a restriction on Congress's powers. What it means is, according to Madison, in carrying out its enumerated powers, Congress has to do so additionally in a manner that promotes the general welfare and not the welfare of what Madison called factions and we today call special interests. Sadly, uh, the Supreme Court uh, said, in a nutshell, Hamilton wins, Madison loses. And the federal government, using the taxing power, uh, was authorized to compel everybody to provide for their own retirement or, bringing it up to date, to buy a health insurance policy. Isn't that interesting? So did the Obama administration rely on the argument that Obamacare was authorized under the taxing power? Well, only one of eight federal courts that had ruled on Obamacare prior to the Supreme Court embraced that logic. And even the administration more or less dismissed the claim, gave it little attention in its legal briefs, an oral argument. Uh, there were lots of reasons uh, for the courts and for the administration uh, to be skeptical. Um, first, the purpose of a tax is to raise revenue. And by contrast, the purpose of the tax in Obamacare was to force people to buy insurance. If it worked perfectly, it would raise absolutely zero revenue. And second, Congress had written tax in an earlier version of the statute, the Affordable Care Act, and then changed the word to penalty. Uh, in the final version, and and they used Congress used tax elsewhere in the bill, so it's they certainly knew how to say tax when they meant tax, mm-hmm. and they knew how to say penalty when they meant penalty. And when you asked Obama where the Constitution authorized Obamacare, he said the Commerce Clause, not the taxing power. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Congress and Obama didn't want the scrutiny that attaches to a huge tax increase. Uh, especially after he had repeatedly called the assessment a penalty and had reminded voters of his promise not to impose any new taxes uh, on the middle class. But I think astonishingly, you know, with a wave of uh, Robert's magic wand, he um, transformed an an unconstitutional penalty into a constitutional tax. So did Chief Justice Roberts uh, believe that the taxing power is effectively unlimited? No, uh, he essentially concluded uh, that uh, there's really not a mandate to buy health insurance. This is a leap of logic that is hard to imagine, but this is what he concluded. <laughs> there's really no mandate. There's just a tax yeah. that offers us an option. Either buy the insurance or pay the tax. No one, said Roberts, is forced to buy. And then he went a step further. He said 
uh, suppose the tax crosses some magic threshold and it is so large that it essentially doesn't leave us an option. At that point, no one would pay the tax because how big it is. Its purpose would be, under those circumstances, to force people to buy a product. It would be purely punitive and it would no longer qualify as a tax. So, according to uh, Roberts, the taxing power has this built-in limit. It's just that the Obamacare tax was too small to cross that limit. Who knows where the limit is? Hmm. So if, if Roberts had upheld the mandate under the Commerce Clause, which was the administration's claim, then the power would, in fact, have been uh, unlimited. And if, if limits are on government are going to be stretched, I'd rather have them stretched under the taxing power, frankly, than under the Commerce Clause, yeah. because taxes are politically toxic, and that uh, limits their use. And the taxing power does impose uh, monetary burdens when you do something wrong, such as not buying insurance. Uh, by, the, by contrast, the commerce power can impose prison uh, when you do something wrong, such as you know, smoking marijuana. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that Roger, Roberts jumped through these uh, uh, contorted uh, uh, leaps of logic. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, another thing that's interesting is this is back before the courts now. Because the mandate was repealed by the Trump administration, mm-hmm. a, uh, I think a very important and, uh, and useful move. And the argument now is, look, the mandate's been repealed. Essentially, the tax is now zero. So if there's no tax, how can the statute be authorized under the taxing power? And the response has been, well, it's the mandate that's not authorized under the taxing power, and that has been repealed. But the rest of the statute can still stand. And the court's going to have to deal with that issue. It's called severability. Can you take one provision out of the statute and say it's no longer constitutional and still allow the rest of the statute uh, to stand? And we're going to be getting uh, an opinion from the court probably not this term, but probably next term. You know, I still recall my disappointment with this decision, going back to Justice Roberts, and uh, it almost made me think that it, the Peter P- principle here applies to Justice Ro- Chief Justice Roberts, because the the uh, decision itself seemed so absurd at the time. Did you agree with it? Well, I certainly agreed with his commerce power uh, conclusions, and yeah. he said that the uh, the mandate was not authorized under an exercise of the commerce power, and I also agreed with his conclusions that the the federal government couldn't force this, could not force the states to expand Medicaid. So those were the two good parts mm-hmm. uh, of the of the uh, opinion. The part that that really stretched uh, the limits of logic was this argument about the taxing power. And no, I did not agree with it. I agree with James Madison that the taxing power was intended as a limitation on Congress. Yes, it could tax, but only <coughs> tax in accordance with advancing the other enumerated powers that Congress had, Mm -hmm. not as a separate power. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, we really would have a government that had no limits whatsoever. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit cato.org, cato.org. Bob, always appreciate your so well-informed and interesting uh, commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. I loved Andrew's commentary as well. He's a professor at Mercy College. He's also the author of a terrific read. It's called Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence, French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, getting people included in society. It also has great benefits to everybody involved. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of a terrific read. It's called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, first of all, I just want to get your thoughts generally on what's happening with the uh, Super Tuesday 2 or uh, what's happening with Bernie Sanders. What are your thoughts? Yeah, let me, let me talk about that. Let me uh, bring in another topic real briefly, Bob. Sure. Uh, the coronavirus uh, up in my college's area, Westchester, which is the epicenter, epicenter of uh, coronavirus in New York State. My school is uh, closing down classes for a week. Uh, faculty to move their classes online, which is a very complicated process. We have 3,500 online students, 6,500 classroom students, so they'll be all moving online after that week shutdown. Uh, after that week going back online, there'll be the spring break, and then we'll make another decision. I'm just pointing this out to, uh, to let your listeners know kind of extreme measures are being used to, to deal with a problem that at this point is is minimal. I'm not trying to minimize the entirety of it, but certainly this is a minimal problem. Uh, several miles from my school is the New York State uh, focus point for uh, for coronavirus. That's New Rochelle, New York, and it's a, a containment area. Right. right now it's being supported by the National Guard in terms of bringing in food and ensuring the cleanliness of the environment. So uh, there are uh, some extreme measures being taken uh, early on. Um, necessarily saying those are wrong. I, I'm just saying that these are extreme measures for the limited uh, um, exposure that we, we've experienced in New York State. So I have this indirect contact with the coronavirus issue as it, as it uh, unfolds. In terms of the primaries, Bob, <clears throat> it looks like uh, I think the only uh, case can be made is that uh, Joe Biden has wrapped up the, the nomination. I think the only thing in doubt is will he have a uh, a, a majority or only a plurality going into the convention. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like he will have a majority and therefore, uh, in fact, become the nominee of the other Democrat Party. Right now, the uh, the the betting wagerers in, in Las Vegas have actually Hillary Clinton uh, getting a better chance to win the nomination than does Barry, uh, Barry Sanders. So uh, Sanders seems to be out of it. Carvel, James Carvel has indicated Democrat voters have spoken and uh, that for all practical purposes, it is it is over. It looks like it's going to be a uh, a Trump Biden uh, campaign process. Uh, how did Trump do yesterday in the primaries? He did very very well in Idaho. More Republicans showed up than Democrats. Yeah, amazingly enough, in Michigan, Trump Trump received almost as many votes as Biden, 
but three and a half times more than Obama, <clears throat> excuse me, did when he was the incumbent. In Mississippi, yeah. as many Republicans showed up as Democrats. In Missouri, Trump received five times more votes than Obama did in 2012 as the incumbent. And in Washington State, say Trump, uh, unopposed now, received more votes than Biden or Sanders. So this is a very successful look at the, uh, the Trump potential. Uh, um, I, I do not have a, a, a strong feel how this will play out. The most recent national polling results uh, in some amazing way shows that Biden would beat Donald Trump in 2020, uh, the presidential election in 2020. I, I find that difficult to, to accept, uh, but I can't ignore that it may have a, a real significance. I know polls can be uh, made to say whatever anybody wants them to say, but I think we're looking at a situation that is so volatile and so loaded with unknown potentialities that uh, I, I just don't really have a good feel now for what is going to happen in November of 2020. Those are great comments. I'll just add to that. Now, I don't know if you are. This is a minor point, I guess, but it's a major point. Uh, he was challenged in Michigan by one of the workers, a hard hat worker, about the uh, AK-14s, <laughs> and and uh, the, uh, basically, uh, Biden said, "Hey, you're full of crap," in so many words, and then invited him to go out and fight in the back. <laughs> he says, "You I'm, want to I'm step slap up? you in the face?" Yeah, I'm going to that. You know, this is what would what would happen if President Trump did something like that? Oh gosh, I mean, you know, all all heck would break loose, Bob. And not not only did Biden make the remarks, but he has been uh, supported by the vast majority of the uh, the Democrat pundits in terms of this. They they are they are happy to see that kind of a of aggression from their from their candidate. Huh. Um, the vulgarity he used, the what seemed to be an out of control emotional response to. Uh, and by the way, the voter who had challenged Biden was absolutely correct in the position he he had taken about Biden having said that he would confiscate uh, assault weapons. Right. That's what what the voter said. That is what Biden reacted to. The voter was correct, and Biden emotionally just reacted to it. So uh, it is it is difficult to believe that the Democrats are actually going to nominate a man like Biden. He uh, he has very little accomplishment. He's been wrong about most things in his political background. Uh, he is tightly linked to uh, early uh, immediate corruptions that are being exposed in Ukraine. Um, and, of course, then we have the uh, deterioration, obvious deterioration of his mental circumstance. And yet, this man will receive, in all likelihood, the Democrat nomination. Honor. And there is at least a reasonable chance that he may defeat one of the most accomplished presidents in this country's history, Donald Trump. Uh, it concerns me. It yeah. very, it very much concerns me the way this thing is is moving. The way the media is uh, is is hyperbolically placing the weight of the coronavirus epidemic uh, or uh, its depth of impact on the president's shoulders. Uh, he will not be able to escape from that, uh, even though Governor Newsom in California, uh, one of the strongest leftists in this country. Uh, applauded the president's administration for their uh, complete support they've been giving California. But that will not stop the media from attacking Donald Trump and making this his, as they say, this will, will be his Katrina. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a volatile situation. It will get more so uh, as we get closer to the election. And um, I, I know so little about it, Bob. I feel awkward and even talking about it. Well, no, I, I understand that. I will make this one observation, and uh, just in juxtaposition to President Donald Trump, who is not a favorite of the establishment, the Republican establishment. He has uh, been bucking the entire system uh, with great leadership, I must add. I love where he's taken us. But uh, in contrast, we have Joe Biden, who evidently is being chosen by the establishment, the Democrat establishment. And he is going to end up being the lapdog for the people in the back room. And, uh, you know, they'll have hoped he just keeps his pulse in spite of his incompetence, in spite of the fact that he uh, uh, may be losing his mind, so to speak, through Alzheimer's or whatever it might, dementia. But uh, I think they're pleased because they can continue on the march towards a progressive society. I, I think that is exactly what will happen. Uh, as has been pointed out, this will be the most important <coughs> vice presidential uh, election in, in America's history. Uh, we'll have Mike Pence, who uh, will probably become the odds-on favorite to be the Republican nominee in 2024 if Trump wins a second term. Uh, and again, you can look at, as you've just pointed out, that 
<clears throat> whoever is the vice presidential uh, nominee for the Democrats, if Biden were to win, will in effect become the president, either in a, in uh, in effect or in reality. Right. Uh, Mike Huckabee has offered the strong possibility that he sees uh, Michelle Obama as being that that vice presidential nominee, someone that would uh, bring in votes for Biden, but also. Uh, be a, a return of the Obama administration and give Obama another eight years in the White House, which is a uh, a scary thought to me. There are there are so many uh, amazing potentials that exist right now, including Obama himself, Barack Obama himself, becoming the vice presidential nominee. I've I've done some constitutional research on this. It would not be illegal, in my estimation, right. for Obama to be the <coughs> vice presidential uh, candidate alongside Biden. And I'm not predicting. Bob, no, but, uh, it certainly is something that legally could happen. Well, quite fr- quite frankly, it's occurred to me too. I mean, it would be, Obama would be putting it all on the line because if he, they didn't win, which I would guess they still wouldn't win uh, because of the strength of uh, Donald Trump, it would uh, put his entire legacy right down the tube. So uh, I I think that would be a remote possibility. It would be putting all the chips on the table for one for one card draw. And, uh, but- I, I agree, but sometimes a, a, uh, an extreme narcissist, as is Obama, uh, will lose sight of what you just pointed out and believe that the power of their charisma is so dramatic mm-hmm. that it would ensure a win for Biden. So he may not look at the potentiality of the downside. He may only see the, the upside. And again, as I say, as a narcissist, that may be where his focus is. Bob. So interesting. Andy, uh, you wrote a column called Be Aware, and it is so compelling. I'd like our listeners to find out more about it. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, you wrote a column, so interesting, it's called Be Aware. Maybe you could tell us about it. 
Uh, be aware was a column where I let me start out someplace else, Bob. I absolutely believe that Donald Trump will win the uh, the presidency in in 2020, uh, and I don't uh, try to present this column as a as a negative look at it, but just uh, to create awareness of certain things that exist that are not being highlighted, not being focused on. For example, I I, I created something called the Hillary effect. In other words, when Trump ran against Hillary, uh, Hillary in 2016, I believe that. Uh, Probably the majority of his votes were derived from people voting against Hillary. Mm-hmm. I think we saw the Hillary effect in 2008 when she lost to a, uh, a junior senator from Illinois, Barack Obama. Uh, and that was the Hillary effect. It was pointed out that Bernie Sanders did not do as well in 2020 in the primaries as he did in 2016 when he was running against uh, against Hillary. Again, Sanders' support in 2016 was the Hillary effect. Those that uh, were opposed to Hillary Clinton. Right. So w- the point I make is we do not know the size of the Hillary effect as it will pertain to the election in 2020. Uh, without Hillary Clinton in the in the process, how many votes will that cost Donald Trump? I, I, mm-hmm. It's an unknown consideration, mm-hmm. but I think it has to be it has to be understood that it is a factor. The other thing that I pointed out, and I think it's of significance, uh, dramatic significance potentially, is that uh, there are 25.6 million new Hispanic and Asian voters that could be created and are being created to a large extent right now in 2020. These are unregistered voters who are now registering. These are residents who are naturalizing and attaining citizenship or citizens turning 18 and coming of age to vote. Mm -hmm. But the Democrat ground game uh, has been focused for the last two years perhaps even more than that, on getting this 25.6 million uh, number of people uh, registered and to to the largest extent put onto the, uh, the the Democrat ledger. So that number is huge. I think if we look at, at Texas, if any of that number comes to pass in Texas, for example, Cruz only beat O'Rourke by 2.6 percentage points. Mm-hmm. Right now, Trump is only polling two points ahead of Biden in Texas. If Texas is lost, it makes the uh, the outcome uh, very dubious for Donald Trump. If we look at Florida, the unknown factor that's not being considered, I, I don't think it's being considered, is the size of the felon vote. I have previously estimated that felon vote in Florida, with all things considered, all variables taken into account, would produce another 150,000 Democrat votes in 2020. Hmm. If everything else held constant from uh, from 2016, that would put Florida uh, into into Biden's camp. <clears throat> Excuse me, Bob. Certainly. Uh, if those two things occurred, Bob, if Texas is lost, if Florida is lost, I, I am quite afraid that the national election would be lost. Yeah, and, and uh, back to the point she started with is that it's highly improbable that Donald Trump will lose the election. I think it's probable that he will. But what you're suggesting is, hey, there are some... Uh, well, there are some warning signs here that we need to pay attention to. And if you think about 25 million people ended up uh, going on the voting rolls, that's probably about one-eighth of the entire voting population. It's, it's a, um, Perhaps even more so, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big percentage. Now, I will say also that not all of those people, number one, will vote. Number two, not all of them will end up supporting the Democrat progressive agenda. A lot of I think there's a lot of appeal among Hispanics, blacks, and others for President Trump and what he's doing with the economy. So, uh, of course, we have the the variable of the coronavirus too. So, we'll see how this if, all plays if we, out. If we look at that 25.6 million, you're absolutely correct. Uh, even if only 10 percent of that is con- converted into registered voters who actually vote, that would be let's say two and a half million voters, and that is comprised of Hispanic and Asian. Uh, right now, it, uh, the percentage of the Asians voting Democrat, 77%. The percentage of Hispanics voting Democrat, 69%. Ooh. So if we were to add 2.5 million voters, uh, and the majority of those voters exist in Texas and in Florida, if we were to add those to the polls and have those same percentages maintained, <clears throat> it would be a... I'm, I'm losing my voice. I'm sorry. No, I understand. And it, it, uh, it would be a, a, a serious threat to uh, to Trump winning Texas and Florida. So uh, these are things we have to be concerned with. I think it should prompt the Republican Party to up their ground game. Uh, the Democrat ground game is uh, Gillum, for example, the 
the failed uh, uh, governor candidate in Florida has put a tremendous amount of money into exactly this process of recruiting previously unregistered voters. And I'm sure the same thing is happening in Texas. So yeah. um, I think Trump will win this. He certainly deserves to win the presidency by his accomplishments. Uh, and yet these things must be part of what we are aware of as a party so that we can deal with them as best we can. Bob. Makes all the sense in the world, Andy. I'm so happy you wrote the column. You wrote another column uh, last night. I'm, unfortunately, we're not going to have time to cover it, but it's about uh, the ugly face of evil. Can you just make a closing comment about it? Real quickly, it's a, a book that has a long, uh, a long history going back to the communist takeover of Poland. Uh, it, was, uh, it was written by Lubezowski. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that name correct. It was uh, destroyed by the communists when they came in. It was recreated, sent to the Vatican by Courier. The Courier disappeared. It was then recreated by social scientists, came to America in 1980, uh, Zibisulabrzynski uh, uh, had the, the book destroyed, and it's finally come into print and, and is now available uh, for the American audience. It's a very complicated book. What it lays out is how uh, large-scale evil environments politically develop, and as you read this, uh, with any fair reading, uh, it absolutely lays out exactly what we are seeing with the Democrat Party in America. Uh, that's, uh, it needs more detail than I've just given you, but that's that's the essence of what this book is about. Scary stuff. I don't know if you remember the book, The Lord of the Flies, which came out, I think, in the late 60s, if I'm not mistaken. But what, what I think yes. it demonstrated is that human behavior and thought is contagious. And especially when you get into this group think that Tucker Carlson talks about all the time. I, I mean, I think that's exactly what you're seeing in the Democrat Party right now is uh, with regard to climate change, with regard to a number of issues, uh, oh, it's kind of a, yeah, me too, I believe in that too, and uh, they're off and running with crazy ideas. Lubasowski builds his case around the fact that uh, there is a, um, uh, a bringing together of, uh, of psychopaths, very limited at the beginning. Uh, those psychopaths draw in those that are, are, are vulnerable, let's say the, the young uh, that that process deepens and the, the number of adherents grows, the fanaticism grows as it goes on through time. The more severe psychopaths become the, uh, the leaders, the ones with the most charisma rise to the top for public uh, exposure. I would suggest, I would, uh, my position is Barack Obama would be in that category. And yet behind the scenes there are deep uh, psychopathologies that drive the process and uh, I think the, the case can be made. Uh, I know I'm uh, I'm speaking from the right, but the case can be made that that's exactly what we're seeing from the Democrat left right now. That's so interesting. Andy Joppa, again, author of Josephus of Oz, genuinely appreciate your well-informed and interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with another really interesting guest, uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and his accomplishments in the space programs uh, are just amazing. He's a real pioneer. Uh, he's written a, a new book. It's called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. We're going to be talking about his column about uh, Marxism. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
The Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida celebrates its 10th year anniversary. Join us at Naples Hilton on March 23rd for an evening among fabulous like-minded supporters, friends, and fans of local Jewish history. Enjoy great food and entertainment, including the premiere of a new documentary from the Society's original Southwest Florida Jewish Pioneers film series, Mayor with a Heart, about Naples' very own four-time mayor, Honorable Bill Barnett. Proceeds of the evening will directly benefit the Virtual Museum of Southwest Florida Jewish History. For inquiries, tickets to advertise, sponsor, or underwrite the event, email office at jhsswf.org or call 833-547-7935. That's 833-JHSSWFL. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, that commercial for the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida, that event has been postponed indefinitely at this point, uh, again, because of the coronavirus and concerns there. But uh, we will reschedule that, and I will replace that commercial uh, this afternoon. Uh, right now, we have with us uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture, author of several books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, uh, targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Scary title. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Professor. I'd like to talk a little about your latest column. I appreciated it so much. This uh, appears, it's a weekly column. It's called On Point on Newsmax.com. Marxism, a nightmare, not a future. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I was invited... Uh, to uh, right at the end of the Cold War, in fact, the Cold War was sort of still going on. To to Russia to meet with their, uh, I was among the very first Americans invited to meet with their top tier uh, space people, um, including their academic academics and their engineers and their some of their cosmonauts. Hmm. Uh, and and this again is around 1988, and um, I was sharing my own some of my own experiences there during that time, and I, I want to mention that it's it's always kind of enigmatic to me that one hand things in Russia were far worse than I could have ever imagined when I went there in terms of what Marxism, what communism did to the country mm. in terms of. Uh, Alcoholism and just 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 disarray and things not working and supply shortages and every every imaginable kind of kind of social problems, rampant crime, mafia, etc. On the other hand, such generous and and caring and accomplished people who I really admired, you know, the people in the space program that launched Sputnik and Gagarin and did so many other marvelous things. And, and actually, I, they uh, not only invited me there, but they gave me a couple of their highest technical achievement awards uh, wow. of the Soviet Union at that time. <laughs> so they were, you know, they were, uh, you know, there was a, really a competition going on with, with the U.S. Just an amazing. And, uh, that, that sort of, you know, contrast between the the, the Economy that was that had fallen apart and inflation and the issues, and at the same time, you know the you know, marvelous spirit and accomplishments of the of the Russian people, generous, generous, you know, very you know, uh, people people I greatly admired. Yeah, uh, was was quite remarkable. Well, the human spirit is the human spirit. It's so interesting because government sometimes does not represent the wishes and desires of the people, especially in places like the Soviet Union. And you see uh, centralized bureaucrats making decisions for an entire populace spanning, what, something like 11 time zones or something like that. It's just amazing. And, and uh, the, the results are so clear. And yet we see uh, Bernie Sanders and the attempt to a healthcare well, one provider system, all the different things that are being proposed are mimicking uh, what happened in the Soviet Union. Well, I think, I think we as Americans 
they've been really sheltered. We've been sheltered from wars in the sense that they haven't, they haven't our cities haven't been bombed, and, and and we've been sheltered from you know the oppression of of you know you know Hitler and and Mussolini and Tito mm-hmm. and and uh, Stalin. Uh, I have very very close friends. Some of my closest friends. It sounds cliche, but it's actually true. Are Russian and. That, you know, they were they were born in, and lived in Russia, and uh, one of my very closest friends, his 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 all of his uncles and his grandfather were murdered by Stalin, mm. and the only reason his father wasn't was because he was only a child at the time, and and I don't think there's a, hardly a family in Russia that hasn't experienced the loss of a loved one or a friend under Stalin. So, you know, the, for us not to understand and, and appreciate. You know uh, how how enormously fortunate we are, and fortunate particularly to have the kind of system we have that uh, allows open trade and open opinions. Uh, and and the no- the thought that we would sacrifice that or just basically fluff it off as as a as a whim is just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Professor, such an interesting column. I'm going to recommend that our uh, listeners go to Newsmax.com and just do a search on Larry Bell or On Point. You'll find the column uh, uh, about <clears throat> Marxism, a nightmare, and not a future. Terrific uh, read. Before I let you go, though, I do want to get your comments on uh, cyber warfare targeting America. I mean, it's such an ominous title uh, for a book, uh, can you share just a little bit about the your intent and and what was what we'll find in the book? Yeah, and it's a it's the third. I wouldn't I hadn't planned a series, but it sort of turned out to be the third book about how the social how the internet and uh, and and uh, information technology is so rapidly changing our lives and. And the, the 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 central theme of this book is how, if we look at state-sponsored terrorism and state-sponsored you know threats, how how the internet wires all these things together, including, I think, very ominously, uh, viruses that that are put in our power grid and in our banking systems and so on, backdoor viruses that can be triggered to shut down these systems, and the realization. And we have them in other grids as well. We have them in other countries' grids, and uh, it's uh, you know it's it's unlike the mutually assured destruction under under the atomic period, mm-hmm. where principally Russia and the U.S. Now you've got dozens of countries that have this capability, and and uh, and it's hard to trace the sources of these. So. We've entered another world where the, the, the conveniences of technology and the Internet and so on that connect us together also connect us to uh, some, some really uh, scary kinds of threats that we never uh, had imagined. Yeah, the name of the book, uh, book again is uh, Cyber Warfare Targeting America, Our Infrastructure and Our Future, again by Professor Larry Bell. Uh, I'm just uh, really looking forward to reading the book. I haven't read it yet, but... Uh, uh, pretty ominous. And the interesting thing here is, you don't need to outfit an army or uh, armed forces in order to have this war. This can be done by eleven-year-old kids. That's very true. Yeah, Professor. Genuinely, armies, appreci- armies of kids. Yeah, armies of kids. Professor, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, doing some terrific work when it comes to education policy here in Florida, especially a right to choose uh, for parental choice and just a number of key issues with regard to the improving the education of kids in, here in public schools here in Florida. We'll also visit with Byron Donalds, our state representative and candidate for U.S. Congress. By the way, my favorite candidate. Uh, we'll also visit with Seton Motley as the founder and president of Less Government. Uh, Seton will be joining us as well as Naples Mayor Bill. Election, re-election coming up on the 17th, just a few days away. I'm sure he's 
uh, pretty nervous about it, but I think he will prevail. Uh, he's been a sitting mayor or city councilman for 24 years, and I think this is his last hurrah. I support Bill, Bill Barnett, and uh, again, you can find out more by visiting Bill Bar- Barnett for NapeForMayor.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.